Before we get into today's episode, I want to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors, as this show would not be possible if it wasn't for them. Millie and Ma, for stylish and unique all-Australian gift boxes. Their ranges include corporates, him and her, babies, or you can design your own. Catch them today at www.millieandma.com.au. That's www.millieandma.com.au. And last but not least, RetroJet Prints. At RetroJet, they create unique, high-quality, retro-inspired artwork that's affordable. Designed by them for you to suit any setting. Find them today at RetroJet Prints on Instagram or Facebook. And now, let's start the episode. He got a bit carried away, Brendan. That's not like Brendan to get carried away, is it? No, not at all. What a time to be alive. Steve is the goal. Disposal efficiency. Pressure point. Right, hello everyone and welcome to episode 68 of the Pressure Point podcast. I'm joined as always by my wonderful co-host Marcus. It's a bit different today. I'm doing the intro, not yourself. How have you been, mate? Yeah, good, mate. Good, mate. It does feel a bit weird. I was almost ready to to do the introduction, but um, yeah, no, it's good. Change it up a bit and get some experience for yourself doing it. <laughs> Absolutely. I've got to mix it up a bit. It was actually hard for me today because I hit the intro button, but I can't hear the intro through my earphones. So I was just guessing when the right time to come in was. So I hope oh, wow. everybody didn't okay. delay too much. Well yeah, yep. no, that was perfect. Oh, stop it, you. Stop it, you. But uh, <laughs> enough of that. We're, uh, we're joined today by a very special guest. We've got is the AFL digital lead journalist at Fox Footy, commentator, part of the Fox Footy podcast, commentates for the under-18s, TSC Cup, AFLW, WNBL coverage, as well as many, many other things. We're joined by Ben Waterworth. Ben, thanks for joining us. Quinn, Marcus, thanks for having me on. You nailed that introduction if you didn't hear the sound coming through. Timing personified. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. And if, you, and if you couldn't tell from my little intro for you there, I think I grabbed 90% of that off LinkedIn. So thanks for having a detailed LinkedIn profile. <laughs> it made my job a lot easier. Hey, if you're, trying to, if you're trying to get a gig, having a detailed LinkedIn profile certainly helps down the track. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So you're going to have to ignore my little notifications that pop up when it says, Quindaluca, have viewed your profile 50 times. <laughs> Quite all right. Apologize for that. So before we get into the footy and all that, let's just talk about how you've been. Obviously, we're in a pandemic at the moment. How's life been for you in a pandemic as a journalist? I'm guessing you've still been working the whole way through. It was pretty tough uh, in April last year. So Fox Sports has this this whole uh, digital venture that the the company's been going in. I've sort of been there since from 2014 essentially so we we're really get, you know gathering some great momentum and according to nielsen ratings we we're right up there almost like number one for quite a few months about sort of the most uh, popular sports website in the country then the pandemic hits in in april last year and essentially our digital team gets cut in half uh, which is absolutely devastating uh, including uh, so that includes a sydney-based office that also covers rugby league and union and cricket and the round ball game uh, and then uh, from AFL perspective, which is uh, based in Melbourne as well. And, you know, we lost two out of our 16 members as, as a result of that. And yeah, it was super tough. It was you know, the toughest working time that I've had so far. And then on top of that, there's obviously no games happening. So you're trying to come up with, with content as well for three months when there's no games happening. It was also a, one of the most challenging and most rewarding times during that um, three month period between round one last year and round two last year when we had that, that, that three months, but that was, uh, that was also challenging and, and rewarding at, at the same time. And I suppose not a lot has, has changed. Uh, the good thing about, uh, I suppose, digital journo jobs these days, you, you can basically work from home with uh, all the systems that are, that are put in place. So 
it's been really good to, uh, we, we bought a house last year as well. So to actually uh, work from home, you have a sort of enjoy your house while you've been uh, during this uh, time has been really, really handy. Um, but thank God for the footy and thank God that uh, footy has uh, kept on ploughing through and uh, we've got plenty of stuff to, to debate and talk about and report on and, and analyse. Uh, I wouldn't be in a gig if the, the footy wasn't uh, going strong. So I, I think you have to pinch yourself quite a fair bit that while a lot of people are doing it a lot a lot tougher at the moment, and I would say probably have a lot more important jobs than what, than what I do, but at the same time, footy brings a lot of joy, uh, a lot of passion and emotion for people sitting at home. And as part of that, is our job to cover it from every angle that we possibly can. So to answer your question, I'm pinching myself that I still got a job. Yeah, that, 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 that's good. It's, it's so so fortunate, especially in this digital age as well and working in the, the digital industry, you, you had that opportunity to keep going, keep plowing through, so it's good. Yeah. Um, but as we do with all our guests, we usually like to start um, yeah, with, it, with a bit of background, how you, how you got into journalism, why you wanted to get into sport journalism and you know, how your, your career all, all started from, um, I guess, your, your, your early, like late teenage days to your early, early 20s. suppose my passion for getting into sports media began when I was in grade four and I started randomly phantom calling a, a game at the MCG and... Someone in front of me, I was commentating over, it may have been Carlton and Essendon. I think it was Carlton and Essendon. And a person in front of me uh, heard me sort of, a phantom calling at a sort of moderate volume. And uh, my mother, I think, may have told me to, you know, uh, put a sock in it. But the person in front of me said, no, let him keep going. He's doing okay. And probably from then, and then sort of listening to Bruce and Sandy and then Rex Hunt on the radio. I used to listen to a lot of radio because... In my childhood and sort of the late 90s, early 2000s, is when games weren't, all games weren't telecast live. So the, the way to actually get your game results on as we go with, with no sort of uh, broadband net going was listening to the radio. So I used to listen to a lot of commentary and I probably found my inspiration from there. So basically from when I was 9, 10 years old, I knew what I wanted to do. And that's probably unlike a lot of late sort of Gen Y, early Gen Z people these days, they don't know what they want to do. They get to the end of year 12 and they're um, still sort of stuck in two minds about what they want to do. My wife's 30 years of age and still probably doesn't know exactly what she wants to do, even though she's been working full-time for a long time. So I've been pretty fortunate that I've known what I wanted to do for a long time and have sort of pursued that um, pretty uh, pretty vigorously, I suppose. So did a journalism degree at the Trobe University after graduating high school but all the way throughout La Trobe, I was kind of encouraged to, to volunteer and do a lot of um, free work there uh, because that's sort of how you, you build up, not only your CV, but build up your confidence in your own ability as well. So I volunteered uh, firstly probably at the Eastern Football League, which is uh, based out in the, the deep eastern suburbs of, uh, of Melbourne, uh, volunteering there for a good sort of two and a half years, all while sort of doing little online writing jobs as much as I possibly can with uh, places like Sporting Bet. Uh, that sort of led to some cricket.com.au stuff and the Big Bash League was starting to happen. Um, and then Latrobe University had a, a website called Upstart, which they just started as I was sort of getting into, into journalism there. So just a lot of little things sort of banking up and building that CV. And then after graduating university, I was sort of fell into uh, uh, the Eastern Football League full-time media manager role, which is my first ever uh, full-time gig. I took over from Lauren Wood, who uh, went to join uh, MX, which who then later joined the Herald Sun. Uh, so I took over from Lauren, did that for two years, and uh, was lucky enough then to get a, 
uh, a position that was just sort of advertised on uh, on Seek or LinkedIn. I think it might have been Seek. Seek was probably a little bit more popular then for job advertisements. But there was a job going at um, at the uh, at News Corp, which is based at the Herald Sun building with a heavily Fox sort of flavour at the same time. So I moved there in April 2014, and since then I've been under the the News Corp umbrella since then. So seven and a bit years now. Um, and mainly with Fox footy for a, sort of a good six and a half years. A year was really good there at the Herald Summer. I was based there at the Herald and Weekly Times. But for the last sort of six and a half years, I've been based out at uh, Fox footy in, in Dorcas Street. And that's led to all kinds of not only digital opportunities, but broadcast and podcast opportunities uh, that have yeah led to some, some really, really thankful things. So I'm extremely lucky, really, really fortunate because I know there's a lot of people who would like to be in my position. I get told that quite a fair bit, but at the same time, I think I'm a huge believer in that you make your own luck. And I think um, I've been able to make my own luck a, a fair bit as well. I think you're spot on when you say a lot of people would love to be in your position and I'll put my hand up as one of those guys that would love to be in the position you're in. And I, you might've already answered the question I'm about to ask um, with what you just said, but you know, going back all the way to 2009 when you were riding at the champions trophy hockey tournament, yeah. did you, did you have the aspirations to be where you are now at Fox footy even back then? Um, or was that sort of more of a one step at a time, see where it takes you type situation? Yeah, it was certainly a one step at a time thing. I, I still wanted to be a, the goal all the way throughout has been to be a sports broadcaster, not necessarily to a certain platform or to a certain organization. It's just a call footy really. So, but I, I knew that basically with, during that time, um, University was were huge on that you've got to be the all-rounder journalist. So you can't just sort of pigeonhole yourself into being a broadcaster. You had to write as well. So writing was something that didn't at the it, I was okay at it, but it didn't come naturally to me. And to a certain extent, it probably doesn't still come naturally to me, even though you can sometimes walk away from a shift doing six articles a day. Like it's not something that naturally flows for me a bit, but I've worked hard at it to try and improve it as much as I possibly can. Um, but yeah, that, that was that was the Champions Hockey, Hockey Trophy tournament was uh, in late 2009, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And you know, w- watching the the Hockey Roos and the Kookaburras play recently, there's a lot a lot of that stuff. Like even the rules, and even a player like Eddie Ockenden, who I covered back in 2009, he's still running around for the Kookaburras now and agonisingly short of it of that elusive gold medal. Like you sort of pinch yourself, sort of knowing that you know I picked up a lot of things during that time um, that led to to great things. So I was able to yeah, do that role. And then with that same company, positions opened up for things in 2010. And there was a sort of a, in, in 2010, I was lucky enough to go to the Singapore Youth Olympic Games. I think it was the first ever Youth Olympic Games, which is athletes 14 to 18 years of age based in Singapore, where I, was, I covered three-on-three basketball for the first time at a shopping centre, which was um, which was bizarre in itself. They set up this own makeshift thing uh, the shop in the shopping centre there. And then uh, 2010, uh, a few months later, I went to the Delhi Commonwealth Games. So my first experience in India. And I don't think I sort of got the full experience of um, of India because I think they'd, they'd moved a, a lot of or relocated a lot of people who uh, were homeless or uh, less fortunate out of the city, but still a, a quite an incredible experience. And then the most random one was going to a country called Oman near uh, Saudi Arabia to work on the Asian Beach Games, where I covered all kinds of things like uh, Sepakta Krau and beach soccer and obviously beach volleyball and tent pegging, um, all kinds of random stuff. Uh, that, that was a fun year, 2010, to, do, to go and do all that, all that kind of things. But a lot of that wouldn't have happened 
if you wouldn't have say, say, said yes to a, what seemed like a, a minuscule opportunity. I was just sort of at the hockey tournament, just transcribing quotes, essentially, and did one story I think for that whole tournament. But it just leads to bigger and better things if you show enough passion and, I suppose, somewhat skill in it. There was so many things you've just said that I'm still trying to wrap my head around, including having a basketball court in a shopping center and then beach games that I've never heard of before. And I think the fact that you were able to travel so much as well in 2010, which is something that the last couple of years has been very elusive for a lot of us. Um, But obviously, like you said, we know you do work with the podcast and you also do a lot of live stuff, whether it's commentary or just um, general coverage. Do you prefer working on the podcast when it's pre-recorded or do you like that sort of thrill of being live on air where anything you'd say could be a mistake, if that yeah. makes sense? Yeah, which is funny you say that because, and I think Bruce McAvaney said this before, and I have similar feelings, not that I'd like to put myself in the same sentence as Bruce, but he always says that when he's got his headphones on at a sporting arena, that's his happy place. And I find that's my happy place as well, uh, particularly at, at a venue or when if we're in front of a if we were in front of a screen doing a, a tube call, as they, as they like to say. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't uh, – pre-recording is okay, but I, I find it's more – I find you more on if it's live, I suppose, sometimes um, because, I don't know, there's this, this sense that there's more accountability that you're live, so you probably lift to a, a certain extent. Um, so that's, that's probably why I enjoy the, the live sort of stuff a little bit more. Uh, yeah, you mentioned – podcast as well obviously the, the fox footy podcast that you are uh, that you do with tom and max um and uh, when we when we spoke to tom the other week we uh we said we drew a lot of inspiration from from that podcast when we first started ours and we love the, the the setup that you guys do and the structure that you work with so how's that experience working with alongside those two and um and yeah i guess having it hosting the, the fox footy podcast it's essentially work banter like on on air really as well and because a lot of what we how we inter, uh, interact with each other and chat and a lot of the same stuff that we talk about off air is exactly what we talk about on air as well. I, I suppose um, with in a, in a pretty in, in a media environment that can uh, can be a lot of can be a lot of churn and it can be pretty intense a lot of the times. I think one of the great things about Tom and Max is that they motivate me and I, I think they I think I motivate them to a certain extent. We all sort of motivate each other and. Um, that I think comes out with uh, with the with the pod that we do. I think in the last couple of years, I think we've kind of it probably took us three or four years really to actually get the chemistry that we uh, were sort of seeking for. And a lot of that was because we kind of rotated through panelists a lot. But we just started to get a little bit more feedback when the three of us started to do it. And we had a little bit of consistency in in the podcast that we did. And I'm probably sure you guys find that as well. If you're 68 episodes in, is that it probably still takes you a couple of years to actually really get that chemistry together. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. It's probably the most fun time of the week, to be honest, sitting down with, with those guys. And there's just something about the audio platform where um, not the, not that it's kind of willy nilly, but there's this kind of this freedom with the audio platform as well. Uh, it's pro- with audio as well. It's probably where people feel most comfortable to open up in an interview as well, uh, I, I think back to when the Essendon Supplement scandal was happening, and Jared Waitley was still at the ABC, and he had an interview with Brent Prismal at the time, who was one of the 34 past and present Essendon players caught up in the in the doping saga. And Brent felt more, and I remember talking to Jared about it at the time, and he said, in that audience, when they're in that environment where there's no camera in your face, or there's kind of no sense where 
you might have a uh, just a dictaphone down in front of your interview subject and it's just transcribed and you're putting absolutely everything in the hands there of the journalist. It's actually, you probably feel a bit more comfortable when it's a live one-on-one audio interview. It's kind of that nice, happy medium. So, and, and I found that using, um, when I've done podcasts with uh, sort of just one-off podcasts with a couple of um, uh, athletes, I found that on, on deeper subjects, they've been happy to open up in that sense. So there's just kind of this role, this more relaxed nature with the, with the audio um, environment that, that really appeals to me and I've always enjoyed it. And I certainly feel relaxed and a bit more jovial and upbeat when I do stuff with, uh, with Tommy and Maxie. Yeah, I'm sure me and Quinn can, can definitely relate to that. It's, it's just like you're having a conversation and, and some banter about footy, but you've got a microphone in front of you. I know yeah. it's like we have a lot of conversations off air and then we're like, oh, wait, save it for the podcast. So yeah, yeah. we're doing that anyway. So yeah. um, it's great. So, um, but you're sticking with Fox footy, I guess. What's it like working with some, you know, some of the big personalities and, and, and big names um, at Fox footy? Because there's a lot of them, a lot of ex-players and, and yeah. big names there. What's it like working, working with all those guys? Uh, you, it's a pitch yourself moment every day, to be honest, when you, um, how, where our desks are situated at the office as well is that they have to walk past our team with um, before they head into the green room or on a Friday night, if you're in the office, obviously we're not spending as much time in the office uh, at the moment pande- uh, due to the pandemic. But um, when they watch a game, when, the, when the, all the on-air talent are, are watching the game, they'll watch it basically on, on, a, on a big TV screen that's just sort of next to our office as well. So there's a lot of interactions. But the, the thing that I, I find the most is that we're all kind of, with, on the same goal to try and uh, make the, the footy uh, communicate the footy and all its nuances and tactics as most effectively as we possibly can. Just we're on different uh, mediums to, to do it essentially in the end. Uh, I have great admiration for a lot of the expert commentators for the amount of work that they put in. So for instance, David King is one of the hardest working uh, expert commentators I've, I've ever seen just because um, on his days off, he'll come in and just watch vision. And you, you see that come in with the amount of detail that he has from a vision and from a numerical perspective when he presents his products on air. That's, it's, that just doesn't, he's not fed that. Like he's working hard to accumulate all that information and data as well by his own insights. But also I've, I've got no doubt that he's, uh, that he's also uh, leaning on people in clubs as well to, to try and garner information as well. He works freaking hard to, to get that that kind of stuff so and and how you know Jordan Lewis has come in and brings certainly uh, his ability to identify ball movement is is absolutely outstanding Eddie Maguire is a, a person that I've never seen someone like him on air in terms of his ability to generate energy like how, how Eddie is on air is exactly what he's like off air and I think with the the recent example of the West Coast Melbourne game on Monday night where we had a 30 minute delay uh, to, I wouldn't have wanted anyone else in the host chair uh, from a Fox footy perspective than Eddie, because that is him at his best when there's live stuff happening right there. And then uh, it's a new story. He's texting people as he goes. Uh, he's throwing the people left, right and center. Um, you wouldn't have wanted anyone else in, 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 in that situation, but uh, above all, they're de- like a lot of the guys are down to earth and it's, it's you know, always willing to have a chat and say hello when they, when they walk past and they've uh, been, uh, you know, it helps that I've been there for sort of in the building for six and a half years now. And after time, you sort of develop a, not only just a, a I suppose, a professional relationship, but, you know, a friendship with a lot of these, a lot of these guys as well. Um, so yeah, very, very encouraged. And every now, 
recently there was I was at a you know I think it might have been a, fa- a little family gathering and just one of the guys just randomly started calling me and a, a cousin saw it you know he's the the name pop up on the phone and it's like oh okay and it's like it's so as it's, it's, it's that's that's sort of again a pinch yourself moment that you know people that ha- have been looked up to for for so long um you know you have that pretty close you know, interaction with them from both a professional and from a you know a personal perspective I think that's really impressive to hear that you say that, especially these guys like David King and saying that how hard they actually do work, because I yeah. think it's easy to just presume that these guys get their positions purely because they were great talents on the field and that's why they're there. But the fact to hear that they actually do all the hard work as well um, just makes it so much more yeah. impressive to see them do what they do. But back to the work that you do, because that's why we're here. You, um, We know you do a lot of work surrounding the coverage of AFLW and the WNBL. How good has it been watching the growth of women's sport in Australia over the last few years? Obviously, there's been a massive rise in women's sport. How good has it been from your perspective? It's, yeah, to, to hear the athletes in particular just be so thankful for the media coverage as well. You know, I suppose from a professional footy environment, uh, it can, the, the media coverage can be quite saturated, uh, you know, it can be quite a saturation for a lot of, for a lot of athletes. Uh, but AFLW and WNBL and uh, WBBL, um, and the, the W League, there, there can't be enough of that coverage from an athlete's perspective, I think. And that's one of the great things that is, uh, selfishly, is that been one of the great things about the advancement and popularity and expansion of women's sports is that there's more broadcasting opportunities. Um, so to, you know, in 2017, Fox Sports got the WNBL rights back after being on the ABC for years and years and years. Um, and they were looking for a Melbourne-based commentator and I put my, my hand up, lucky enough to be put forward uh, by, by someone and put my hand up and uh, was very, very rusty at the start, mispronounced a lot of names and uh, heard about it as well because there was a, WNBL's got a lot of rusted on fans and uh, sort of quickly found out about that feedback. But once I got to uh, know the, uh, not just the players, but the commentators, the fellow expert commentators, like the first ever gig I did alongside Lauren Jackson, you know, the, the greatest, Australia's greatest ever basketball player. And he's a person who's only just done a couple of basketball mock calls and I'm working inside Australia's greatest basketball player. Um, and, but it just, it, the more games you do, and it's the same with anything in life really, but particularly in me, the more you do it, the better you get at it, the more confident you feel in yourself. So to, to help improve women's sport is, is a privilege, I think. And particularly from an AFLW perspective, the fact that, you know, the, to play a big part in the Fox's broadcasting of AFLW in the past couple of seasons to even, you know, we're recording this on a Friday, on, on, on a Thursday, to see the league go to 18 teams uh, from 2022, 2023 onwards is, um, is, a, is a real picture self moment. And I, uh, I uh, covered that yesterday and, was pretty cool sort of um, seeing, you know, one of Sean Burgoyne's daughters being part of the photo opportunity wearing a Hawthorne jumper, uh, knowing that in a, in a few years' time and, you know, 10 years' time, when she, if she does want to follow through on, on, on her word that she wants to be an AFLW player for Hawthorne or Port Adelaide, she could go father-daughter to either side if she wanted to. Um, but you, you've played somewhat of a role in helping um, augment the league and its, and, its, um, and its coverage. So absolutely thrilled to... Be part of um, be part of women's sport and and see the joy that what we do can uh, can bring to them and ostensibly help you know grow grow the game and participation numbers. 
Well, that's the thing with participation numbers as well. Obviously, women and girls are starting to get involved at a much younger age than what they would have, you know, even five years ago. Is that it's that recent? But for me, for myself, working, um, I work at a local sports media company, and we're starting to cover some junior women's footy or even some senior women's football, and just to, for them just to get some coverage and some, you know, social media access and all the rest of it, they're loving it at that level. So yeah. the fact that they're getting all that attention now at lower levels as well. Um, I think it's just huge for them going forward. Is, I was going to, I'll throw it back to you. So are, are you seeing a number of, a, a, num, a big increase of um, young, young girls and women of all ages as well? You know, I walk, walk, walk my dog past a, a, a ground that I think has women's training on a Thursday night in particular and see the culture that's building up. Are you noticing um, more women and girls coming into to you know get equipment and get fitted out for a lot of kind of stuff yeah definitely i mean even at my local footy club that i play for this year they had the um, first ever women's team and the, you know the numbers there were fantastic uh, my youngest sister she's all of a sudden decided she wants to play aflw now and yeah. i'm happy to live vicariously through her if she wants to do that because i never quite made it to the big league so it's definitely growing in numbers for sure and even for a fan like myself just a football fan I see AFLW players down the street now and, you know, my hero growing up was Matthew Richardson. And honestly, I look at them in the same light now because I'm like, oh, you know, they're AFLW players. That's yeah, huge. Yeah, so yeah. I think the fact that even the excitement's coming down for not only um, younger women and look, looking up to these people, even people like myself that think, oh, geez, they're stars. They've made it to the big time. And uh, and basketball and other sports are aware of that AFL's rise or Australian football's rise as well. There's a, there's a real... Uh, I was going to say healthy competition, but there's there's competition. I think between certainly between the, the codes now, and uh, I think they because of you know a player like Monique Conti, for instance, at the moment, who um, one weekend I was calling for the uh, Melbourne Boomers, and then the next weekend was calling her for the Richmond Tigers as well, from going from basketball to footy, and seeing her um, go between the, the two sports so effortlessly was, was was really interesting. She's still really young. Uh, will she, in a couple of years' time, be forced to choose between codes? She's always been, I've asked her a number of times in a couple of interviews that I've done, she's always been someone that wants to do both as long as she possibly can. And I suppose when when Cash, um, for being a, uh, for being a, you know, an athlete at the, the top women's sports at the moment isn't high compared to the guys, uh, she will, I think, continue to hold on to that idea for as long as, as long as possible as well. So that that competition between the, all the sports at the moment for the top female athletes in the country is going to be very, very interesting to watch over the next couple of years as inevitably uh, the pay increases across all the codes. Yeah, for sure. We, I mean, we've spoken about it a lot on, on our podcast, just the, the impact that women are having in sport and especially AFL as well. So it's going to be an exciting few years seeing that seeing the growth and the continued growth of it but um just back to back to sport media um and the journalism side of things what would be you know, maybe your one piece of advice or, or any sort of advice that you give to aspiring sport journalists out there that are trying to break into to the field can i have two I, th- yeah. I think it's i think it's really important at um right now to if you are sort of thinking about a sports media career i think firstly ask yourself Am I 100% fully invested, ready to go into into this space? Because it's darn, it's darn competitive, and it's it's changed a lot in in uh, the, the since I went into my first year of university. Um, so, am I fully 
prepared and invested is probably the, the, the first one because I think if you go through a, 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 a journalism degree and you're not 100% in, invested during during that time, um, you, not, I don't want to say it's a, a waste of time for, for those three years, but like, could you have been doing something different during that time? I, just because it is so competitive and, and jobs are so scarce at the moment. If you are absolute uh, full credit to you as well. And if, if you are willing to do it, the second piece of advice is go your absolute hardest. And I would say don't have a backup plan because um, I think if you, if you have a, a, a backup plan where um, you're thinking about you know, potential fallback plans, I think because it is so competitive, go your absolute hardest. So that, that means volunteering as much as you possibly can. And, um, yeah, because for, for me, I think there's a certain amount of talent, but for, for, for me, I think it's very much been about hard work and working harder and longer than anyone else, which I think my, my colleague, David Zeta, is a, is a huge uh, testament to that. He's one of the hardest working guys, I think, going around. And I think we motivate each other in a, a lot of that sense. So, um, yeah, but, but just be prepared to go that to go that extra mile. And that often means a, a lot of free work, particularly while you're, while you're probably a bit younger and you're going through that university degree. And I often say as well that a lot of people relocate from cities and are often living on campus or renting while they're going to university. And that, make, that makes it a lot tougher. Uh, so it's just about finding those opportunities where you are prepared to go and to, to show that you're prepared to go the, the extra mile. Because for, for me, work ethic uh, shines more than talent sometimes a lot of the time. You have to have, often have some kind of knowledge and expertise and talent in what you're doing. But Work ethic is something that um, is ingrained in you and that, that certainly appeals to, to someone like me and I'm, I'm certainly inspired by. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that advice is sort of the... Well, when speaking to Kath and Tom as well and sort of asking him similar questions about, um, you know, advice, I guess it's sort of this a continuing theme in terms of just, yeah, hard work and consistency in that sense. So... Definitely good piece of advice there. Now, we, we do have a segment here on the podcast that we call the pressure cooker, which is just uh, four or five rapid fire questions that we just yep. ask you. They're all got to do with the footy season being a footy podcast. So I'll quickly, uh, I'll play the little sting that we've got and then uh, we'll get started with it. Before we get back to our regular scheduled programming, I want to take a quick moment to thank our sponsor, Capital Edge. Capital Edge is a boutique company set up to help you build a property portfolio quickly and effectively whilst minimizing any direct out-of-pocket costs. They implement strategies to help reduce your payable tax and avoid the common pitfalls of property investment. The simple difference with Capital Edge is that with any investment you make, it's all about you. Capital Edge, educating clients to make informed property choices using research-based processes. And last but not least, Gavos Freight Solutions, GFS. We recommend GFS due to their expert advice in all facets of international air and sea freight forwarding, including consolidation logistics, personal effects, as well as in-house customs clearance brokerage. Better than the rest, the team at GFS has a combined experience of over 40 years in the industry and is led by Peter Gavos, an accredited customs and quarantine broker. So if you're in the need for professional importing or exporting, be sure to get in contact with Peter and the team at www.gfs.net.au. That's www.gfs.net.au. All right, I'll uh, I'll Strong kick us off. Work. 
<laughs> Thank you very much. I can't hear a thing of it either, so it was really annoying. Okay, it's really awesome. <laughs> That's right. Um, who's your tip for the flag this year? Geelong. Uh, that's maybe a bit of stubbornness for a couple of reasons, probably because I picked them at the start of the year. And I'm a Cats fan, but not like a unabashed, you know, must like bleed blue and white Cats fan. I think probably being in the media for so long probably drains that out of you a little bit. Although probably some of the, some media people probably still can't get the, the passionate fan out of them sometimes still. Uh, but also I think they're the most complete uh, side of the premiership contenders. And Nick Rebolt's spoken a lot about this on On The Couch recently is when you put up the premiership profile sort of indicators, key performance indicators of a lot of sides at the moment around ball movement, both defending it and also doing it. Um, and uh, the ability to uh, defence as well, points against Geelong's been the best defensive team, the comp for a number of weeks now, and they're going to get their best players. I think back at the right time, they get five inclusions, four inclusions back this week. Mitch Duncan hopefully comes back in finals. Uh, I think the cats considering how close they've got last year, the age demographic, Selwood, Dangerfield, Hawkins. Um, I, I just think it's working nicely for them uh, for them this year. So I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with my preseason tip. Yeah, absolutely. I think everybody, or a lot of people anyway, have got the same sort of thoughts as you do there. And we did actually speak to Tom Morrison. He said a similar thing about um, you lose, not not lose passion, but I guess, yeah, it's harder to sort of be as invested into a club because he's a D supporter, as you, I'm guessing you would know. Um, he said no, the same thing so. about... Yeah, he said the same thing about you as he goes, he's probably not as invested as what he once was um, now that he works in the media landscape. But following up on that last question, who would be your tip for the Brownlow medal? Uh, the Bont. And uh, and again, a preseason tip. So this, this is making, I suppose, me look good, but I'm not the only one who tipped along with Marcus Bontepilli to win the flag in the Brownlow before the start of the season. But there was, a, I was, went, um, one of the great things this, this year is that there wasn't a huge, NAB, um, so it's obviously not great for Fox Footy broadcast that there was only the one week of the NAB challenge this year, but from a foxfooty.com.au perspective was that there was a lot of uh, practice games that sort of had um, uh, smaller uh, broadcast setups with, you know, on club websites and a lot of them were locked you know, behind membership paywalls, essentially. So we got to go out and, and see a lot of these games. So I went out and saw Western Bulldogs play Hawthorne at Footscray. And, I, and Bont was a best on ground, but this wasn't no ordinary Bont and Pelly best on ground. He was... And you send it throughout the year. He's bigger in his shoulders, and he's a lot stronger in the contest now. And I just—he's—he's he's a different player and ready to go to another level. He's dominated the Hawks, and the Hawks actually won that game. You know, you think of Hawthorne beating the Western Bulldogs this year, um, and he'd, he'd be laughed at. But the Hawks won that game. But Bontempelli was so clearly a best on ground, and then he dominated against Melbourne in a in the actual NAB Challenge game uh, a week later. And I thought this guy is set for a big year. So, and, and that sort of panned out that way. I think Ollie Wines is going to have a really good run and that Petrarca will be right up there. And Sam Walsh is going to come with a real rush towards the end. But I, I think as good as, as much as Jack McRae has accumulated disposals and will have poll a fair few votes himself as well. I think the Bont is going to be a real standout amongst the umps this year. And he's been consistently uh, such a good player. So, and he's kicked goals. So the Bont for mine. Yeah, for sure. Hard to argue against that. Um, what about the rising star? This is, I, I can't remember sort of the last couple of years where it's has been as hotly contested. Um, main contenders, I think, for mine are Luke Jackson and Tom Green. And I just wonder if the game on Monday night just gone may swing judges towards Luke Jackson. Uh, he, I think he had career high 20 touches against the Eagles on 
Monday night. Um, he's what he's a ruckman, but he's sort of one of the he, he's almost unique to to Nick Nat in a way, and that Nick Nat doesn't get a lot of disposals himself, but Jackson's almost got the accumulation happening, and he accumulates it differently in the to um to to Max Gorn. He I remember interviewing him at the draft combine before he got drafted, and he said he looked up to um, to Brody Grundy in particular. And there's a there's a lot of Grundy about how Jackson's going about it at the moment in, in terms of his ability to win the ball, but also I think. A, Maybe beyond Grundy's, he's got this this ability to take a mark above his head, which Grundy hasn't been renowned for throughout the years. So I think Jackson wins it just um, just because I think Tom Green this, he's, he's got a he's got a Hammy at the moment that he's keeping him out. So that might and considering Jackson just had this big game in a in a, in a season, it could be a season defining win for the D's because they've gone to the top of the ladder now. Um, that might just swing the judges' votes the way of uh, of Luke Jackson. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's probably my tip as well. Um, but even if he doesn't win it, he'll be, he's going to be a star in his own right, no doubt. And then the last question we've got for the pressure cooker, and I think I might know the answer to this one. We've had the same answer the last couple of times we've asked it, but what would be your favourite news story of the year so far? Favourite news story of the year? Oh, is, have people answered sort of with a glass half full or glass half empty about this in recent couple of weeks? Um, well, I'll give you. I'll just tell you what they've said. Both, both uh, Tom and Kath, the last time, two, 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 I can't even speak. The last two times we've asked it, have both said the uh, Alistair Clarkson story was their favourites. Their favourite, right? Gosh, they're brutal. So it's, it's certainly, <laughs> it's certainly the juiciest. That's um, probably yeah what they yeah. were leaning towards the juicy side of it. Yeah. Oh, my favourite. Um, oh, look, yeah. Pro- it, look, nothing spring to mind in terms of my absolute. Um, favorite because my immediately my immediate mind went to thinking oh is there sort of something that really that really resonated with me um, uh, from a positive perspective but in terms of the the public interest and how it's just all sort of suddenly happened I think there's there's no doubt that um, the, the the clerks and stuff has has been uh, has garnered the most um, has garnered the most interest uh, th- this year as well in terms of the angles that you can pick out on it um, you, you can't underestimate as well the the, the, the Collingwood narrative at, at the start of the year as well. It's it's last year throughout the pandemic, no coaches were kind of in a um, in a uh, with their jobs serious, sort of seriously under pressure. It's, but it's it's amazing how brutal the industry is. Is that it's you know, this year that there's so many clubs um, that are their coaches are under under, under the pump at the moment as well. I, I do have to say though, that I have really enjoyed the Melbourne rise this year. Um, yeah. There, I, again, a, a pre-season practice game that I witnessed, uh, Melbourne played Richmond and Casey uh, and I went out and watched that game and Melbourne beat Richmond, which was a bit of a, at the time, which was a bit, which was a bit sort of, you know, wow, really? And it was a pre-season game, not part of the official NAB challenge. And then the D's lost to the dogs, got thumped the, the week after on the, on the Fox footy broadcast game. But there was something about the demons that day. I thought, oh, okay. Again, that there might be due for something. So I suppose the story is incomplete because it's really that the demons rise isn't complete with probably without a premiership this year. And from a list profile, list profile perspective, them and the dogs are probably right in the sweet spot at the moment. Geelong's probably a little bit further along, but just have a little few more extra motivation factors. So if the D's win a flag, and I'm sure Tom would probably change his answer if they do, but if the D's win a flag, that would probably be my favourite story of the year, just from a, a long heartbreak fans' perspective. Uh, they are a very pessimistic view, uh, group of fans, the Melbourne uh, faithful. So to see them win a the flag, I think it would be pretty pretty satisfying 
Yeah, I can't. I can't really blame them either for being so pessimistic after what they've seen. Yeah. What, what do you think the biggest difference between this year and 2018 is for them? I think they've they're, they're a lot of their list hasn't changed too much from from that time. So I think they're just wiser. I think they just had this. You know, Gary Lyon in 2019 when the D's had the dip um, was talking about was that the um, was that just a one-off in, in 2018? What was real? Was 2018 real or, or 2019 real? I think the answer was probably somewhere in between. I, I, I don't think the Ds were ready for the, a 2018 preliminary final. And I don't think, uh, I think they've certainly performed below expectations in 2019 when they you know, took the, the dip all the way down towards the bottom four there. So, uh, and they really should have played finals last year as well. So, so, so when you think about it, it's kind of been a, a gradual progression, not from a ladder perspective but it just in terms of how many games this list has put together and how it's worked out now is that um there there's not too many holes in this demon side i think if ben if ben brown and he's starting to show some signs of the past couple of weeks if he can fill that key forward chasm work well with tom mcdonald i think um there's there's not too many holes that you can pick in this melbourne side at the moment so having said that touch with they don't get any injuries because this is the the, the time we don't want any key injuries and you know the Bulldogs losing Josh Bruce really kind of can muck potentially with their with their with their setup. So hopefully, if the D's can stay fit and Ben Brown can uh, really fill that key forward chasm and kick two three goals a game, I think they're a really good chance of um, of giving the flag a shake. Because I think Justin Leppage said it on SEN a couple of days ago, is that every team is gettable to a certain extent, but Melbourne's gettable is. Um, is less achievable for an opposition side because they are so sound defensively. So if they can uh, continue to uphold that game defensively, they're the best, one of the best contested ball teams in the comp. All those two styles and traits work best in finals. So I think uh, the D's are, um, are, are every chance to give the Cats a shake, but Geelong will still win it. Yeah, I think Geelong's experience. I also feel sorry for the Melbourne supporters as well that have waited so long. And if, if the finals and the grand final gets moved away from, from Melbourne, which yeah. it looks like it might, geez, yeah. you, you really feel for them, don't you? Yeah, you, you, yeah, you do. Yeah, it would, if, if it did sort of, if it did sort of come to fruition that they would have to play in a grand final in Perth, you, of all the teams that would love to play, to play at the MCG, the, the, the D's are definitely the team, aren't they? It's a, yep. it's a really good, it's a really good talking point from a, from a, a Melbourne specific perspective because I think you know Nick Rewalt talked about this on AFL 360 the other night from a player's perspective I, I, I think in, in finals because because there's no integrity in finals if there was integrity in finals Geelong would be playing at GMHBA stadium if they had a home final and the Bulldogs would be playing at Marvel stadium in every game so integrity is out the window so I suppose stuff the integrity um, discussion in finals this year if it is moved away I, I think players though want, want a crowd they you, you play finals I think for the for the atmosphere and, and, and the crowd um, and I think from a crowd perspective we're probably going to be getting the best atmosphere and uh, environment at um, at the cauldron that is off the stadium at, at the moment and I think uh, how I read the situation at the moment is that I think their teams are going to be relocated to Perth for um, for a couple of uh, for the final series and they'll, and they'll fly between probably uh, Perth and Adelaide for, for games you know for instance it's it, it could very well happen that Brisbane finishes sixth and West Coast finished the seventh. It's silly to have Brisbane playing West Coast in an elimination final at Optus Stadium. So I think it makes sense to put that at the Adelaide Oval. Um, and, but, you know, anything can change in this rapidly pandemic-inspired world. 
Absolutely. I'm I'm under the belief that unless the MCG can hold at least 75,000 people, which yep. I really don't think it will, that it should definitely be moved to Optus purely because of the capacity in the show that they've put on. They've done it a few times this year, whether it was Dreamtime at the G um, and there's been a couple other big clashes as well. Mm. And they've just put on a really good show. So I mm. think that's definitely, yeah, the place to be, if not at the MCG. Yeah. The, the, the threshold question is, is interesting. I was, I was originally kind of probably a bit Melbourne biased and thought, Oh, if they can still get maybe 40 there, it might be okay. But just kind of now that now there's been a bit more discussion and thought put into it. And I think the fact that when from, uh, from when Melbourne residents were, or Victoria residents uh, last week went from a, uh, we went from zero cases to six to 20 in three days. I think that was the game changer. It was, um, it was kind of like when the, when the, uh, when the whole pandemic thing happened, when the NBA season uh, was paused, I think that's when everyone took a step back and thought, right, this is real. This is going to have a big impact on, on everybody. Um, we're, uh, so I think that, obviously to a lesser extent now, I think when that happened, when we went from zero to six to 20 in three days, cases wise, uh, I think that was a, a bit of a reality check for everyone thinking, okay, if we're a Melbourne final series and, and potentially a Melbourne grand final is seeming a little less achievable than probably what it was uh, beforehand. So and I, if it does happen, which I think it's heading that way, I think Perth would do a fantastic job. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's all we've got for today, Ben. We really, really appreciate you coming on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I know that today was your day off. So I appreciate you spending it or wasting it, depending how you look at it with us. But either way, we uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, thanks again for jumping on. Certainly not a waste, guys. Keep up the uh, keep up the great work and thanks for having me on. Awesome. Absolutely. Thanks, pleasure. Ben. Thanks, Ben.